Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. Welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. I'm Rachel Fisher. I'm Desi Janikin. And I'm going to start out the show by thanking our Patreon subscribers, and these people subscribed to our Patreon. They sure did. They sure did. Over at our Patreon. <laughs> oh, Desi, what's on our Patreon? We've got bonus episodes. We have after shows. We have movie club. There's also ad-free episodes. You can join our Discord. So there's lots of stuff. And we're on Discord. So you yeah. can talk to us. You can share your recipes with us, show <laughs> us your cat pics. We post pictures ourselves. We talk about shows we're watching. Mm. We have a whole Vanderpump sometimes, thread. Sometimes you even get exclusive information about what shows we're going to do next. That's right. And you can talk to us about what shows you'd like to see. Mm. So there's it's lots. a good it's a good place to be. I really enjoy the Discord. Okay. These are the Patreon subscribers we're going to thank this week. We have Jennifer, Teresa, Kat, Chris, Taryn, Leela, Julie, Jessica, Kat, Ashley, Sally, Marlene, Connor, Carmel, Brandeis, Justine, Kristen, Ryan, Kareen, Janelle, Tony, Angela, Zyra and another Angela. That that's it. We'll think more next week. But it's, thank you guys. We got a Tony and a Teresa. <laughs> I that love it. That perked my little Long Island ears up. Mm. I was like, ooh, who's Tony and Teresa? I love the, <laughs> I love the name Teresa because it always reminds me of um, Barbie's brunette friend. Oh, yeah. Because I, I had a Teresa doll. Yes. I liked her. Okay, so we are continuing Movie versus Reality May, something we just came up with last week <laughs> and yeah. decided to finish it out because we already started it. So in 1994, something now referred to as the strip search phone call scam began targeting primarily fast food restaurants, often in rural areas across the country. A man would call a business claiming to be a cop and then convince managers to conduct strip searches of employees, which would often escalate to include other humiliation and even sexual assault. More than 70 of these phone calls were reported in over 30 U.S. states, but it was an incident that happened in Mount Washington, Kentucky, a Mount Washington, Kentucky McDonald's that would finally bring the hoax to an end as well as becoming the basis for the 2012 film Compliance, starring Anne Dowd, Dreama Walker, and Pat Healy. Did you see this movie? Yes, it's horrific. So this movie was really controversial when it came out. People literally walked out. Really? Because it's really hard for some people to watch, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's like you're watching a real thing happening almost. It's very realistically done. So I think that added to it. But it's hard to watch for sure, no matter if you leave or not. It's not a movie I would ever watch a second time. No. 
It's not a fun experience to watch that film. No. And and it's based on real clips because all of this stuff was filmed. I... They, 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 like the dialogue, some of the dialogue in this film is actually like, the, it's the real dialogue, right? Or the real things the guy said? I don't know, because I think the film is there's no sound. So I don't know if there's sound on the video. Uh, yeah. So I don't know about that, but maybe they had some other uh, stuff recorded from other incidents, because there's a lot. Or testimony. Yes. So it's definitely one of those movies that sort of, tries to ignite that conversation. What would you do in this situation or if this happened to you, uh, et cetera? My sources for this are primarily the Courier Journal out of Kentucky and the documentary Don't Pick Up the Phone on Netflix, which um, interviews a lot of the people this happened to, not just the Kentucky case. So uh, if you wanted to see more about it, you can go check that out. Uh, Let's get to it. Louise Ogborn was just 18 year old 18 years old when she got a job working at a Mount Washington, Kentucky McDonald's. She was a model employee. She was still in high school and was, all, by all accounts, a very sweet girl, a former Girl Scout. Her life would be forever changed, though, on April 9th, 2004, just four months after she started working there in order to help her family out financially. Her mom had just lost her job due to health issues, and Louise wanted to chip in. On that day, someone calling himself Officer Scott contacted the store and spoke to the assistant manager, Donna Summers. He claimed that an employee had been accused of stealing a customer's wallet and said he was on another line with the store manager as well as someone from McDonald's corporate offices. He then described the suspect to the store's uh, assistant manager, saying she was a petite brunette, and the manager, Donna Summers, said... He gave me a description of Louise. It fit her to a T, but it's very not that specific. Yeah. Uh, And she wasn't even supposed to be there that night. She had agreed to stay on to help with a busy rush. Officer Scott then informed Donna that Louise should be searched at the store or she could be arrested, taken to jail, and searched there. And Donna thought it seemed like the easier thing to do. Around 5 p.m., she took Louise to the small back office to do a rudimentary uh, check of Louise's belongings. She also had Louise pull her pockets out. But that wasn't the end. Louise was about to endure hours of degradation and abuse because Donna and others did exactly what they were told to by the man on the phone. And they weren't the first to do what this caller told them to do either. The first report of such a call came on August 4th, 1994, a man claiming to be a sheriff's deputy called a McDonald's restaurant in Saybrook Township, Ohio, stating that a customer's purse was stolen from the restaurant. He told two minor females working at the restaurant to allow the manager to strip search them, and they did it. Over the next 10 10 years, the MO was virtually the same. A male caller would call as saying he was a cop or a sheriff's uh, officer, would contact the manager or supervisor and solicit their help on detaining an employee. And two times a customer uh, got abused this way. Oh my God. Um, And saying they were suspected of some kind of theft or sometimes drug possession. And most of the falsely accused victims were young women. Strip searches were the starting point and they graduated to more invasive things like cavity searches, spanking, and even sexual assault. Many of these quote-unquote investigations would last for hours before people finally realized that the call was a hoax or in some cases only stopped because another person intervened. Now, obviously many of these incidents do get reported, but people 
didn't really believe the store managers when they said that someone was calling them and saying that they were a police officer and that's why they did what they did. Uh, One newspaper headline in Fargo, North Dakota said, did the manager tell a Whopper? And this obviously took place at a Burger King. Oh, God. Um, This was when a manager said that a police officer called him on January 20th, 1999, and and that's why he slapped a 17-year-old employee on her butt, her naked butt. Uh, According to the North North Dakota judge who sentenced this manager to 30 days in jail, he said, it's not just conceivable to me that there's any reasonable justification for what happened. Some restaurant owners and police often said that they thought the caller and the victims were in on it together, doing like this scam to get settlements from the franchises involved. But the hoaxes continued. Some of the more notable ones. On November 30th, 2000, a caller persuaded a manager at McDonald's in Litchfield, Kentucky, to remove her own clothes in front of a customer whom the caller said was suspected of sexual offenses. Now, he, she was doing this to entrap the guy, Basically, that's what he convinced her. He's like, do this. And if he tries to attack you, then we'll have him. So she went along with it thinking she was helping the police out. Right. On May 29th, 2002, a girl celebrating her 18th birthday in her first hour on the job at a McDonald's was forced to strip, jog naked, and assume a series of poses at the direction of a caller on the phone, according to news accounts. January 26, 2003, a report in Davenport, Iowa at an Applebee's restaurant, they conducted a 90-minute search of a waitress because a caller who said he was a regional manager um, just told them that she had done something and they just decided to um, do this 90-minute search about on her. Um, the assistant manager had read a company memo warning about this hoax just months before. What? So these calls were out for people to look be on the lookout for them, and he still went through with this 90-minute search. Oh, my God. He later told police he had forgotten about the memo. On June 3rd, 2003... Dude, that memo should have been on a bulletin board. Well, there's some information about what was supposed to be done and never done later, because exactly. They were going to put a sticker on the phones. Like, oh. just beware of hoaxes, because that's like how little people were paying attention don't, to memos. Yeah, don't believe uh, someone who says they're a cop on the phone. Yeah, like literally on the phone, so they could not forget. Um, but the stickers never happened. So in 2003 in Juneau, Alaska, a caller to a Taco Bell said that he was working with the company to investigate drug abuse at the store and had the manager pick out a 14-year-old customer and strip search her (gasps) and got her to perform lewd acts. In February of 2003, another McDonald's in Georgia, the female manager took a female employee into the woman's bathroom and strip searched her. She also brought in a 55-year-old janitor who conducted a body cavity search of the woman to look for hidden drugs, (gasps) including probing her vagina with his fingers. Oh, my God. Uh, So pretty... He pushed them pretty far, but you have to wonder, like, at what point are you like, uh, I'm not trained for this, at least. Like, yeah. why are we doing this? So by the time the caller calls the company-owned McDonald's in Mount Washington in April of 2004, at least 17 McDonald's stores around the nation had been conned this way. The company was already defending itself in four lawsuits stemming from these hoaxes. But Donna Summers, who had worked for McDonald's about eight months, said she had never heard about the hoaxes, as well as assistant manager Kim Dockery, 
or the store's regional manager, um, they would later give court depositions saying that they had never heard of it. Now, company executives obviously had sent out memos to owners and operators about the hoaxes, but according to Michael Peaster, who was the global security director for, for McDonald's, it appears the information was not reaching our restaurant staff. So on April 9th, 2004, uh, Louise had already submitted to a humiliating search while professing her innocence. She was really scared and worried she might lose her job over this false accusation. Then she noticed that Donna had placed a garbage bag over the office door window. It was then that she was uh, told that she had to remove all of her clothes just wearing a bra and underwear. According to Louise in a later deposition, I was bawling my eyes out and literally begging them to take me to the police station because I didn't do anything wrong. I couldn't steal. I'm too honest. I stole a pencil one time from my teacher and I gave it back. Now, Kim Dockery, another assistant manager, was brought in at that time as sort of a witness to the search. And she, you know, she says in a deposition that Louise was crying and it was really hard to watch this young girl standing there naked. It wasn't a pretty sight. But Donna continued to make her undress until she was finally completely naked. Then Donna was instructed to give her an apron to cover herself up some. You can see this in the video. They obviously don't show her naked, but you can see her sitting with like an apron mm. kind of covering herself. The cop on the phone told them to place the clothes in a bag, uh, get Louise's car keys, and put all of her clothes in the car where the police would be there soon to pick everything up. Now, Summers does say later in a deposition that she kept asking herself why the police were taking so long to show up. The police department was less than a mile away from the McDonald's, and he always had an answer. They were understaffed. They couldn't get there right away. They just needed to hold Louise there until they could get there. So at this point, Louise is completely naked. She has no car keys. And in her mind now, she has no way out. Her only option would be running into a jam-packed restaurant completely naked. And she would later say that she grew up in a military family and was taught to listen to adults and those in charge and generally thought if she complied with everything, her nightmare would end. So Kim Dockery finally leaves after an hour and Donna tells the caller she needs to go out front and work because it's super busy. Um, and she, the caller is like, you need to bring in someone else who you trust to assist with the investigation, uh, to sit there with Louise and be on the phone with me. Uh, she asks Jason Bradley, one of the restaurant's cooks, to watch Louise. And when the caller tells him to remove her apron and describe her body, <gasps> he refuses and leaves the office. Um, but both him and Kim Dockery, even though they both claim they were disturbed what was happening, neither one call the police or demand that the search be aborted in any way. Like They don't do anything to end this. The caller then tells Summers that she needs to find any, another person. And that's when she decides to call her fiance at about 6 p.m. So she's already been in this office for an hour. So she calls Walter Nix Jr. at his home and asks if he could come down to the McDonald's to help her out with this situation. Dude, it's crazy that all these other people that weren't in the room or didn't speak to the uh, fake cop on the phone were seeing this situation happen and... No one really seemed to question it. Yeah. I mean, 
obviously Louise is a complete victim here. Like I don't question her decisions. She's in a very scary situation. No. At all. No. But I'm sorry. I'm not one of those people who's like, hmm, what would I have done in this situation (laughs) if I was the manager or any of the people at work? Yeah. I would be like, like maybe the first thing this girl stole something I can see, oh, we got to bring her in the office and check her stuff. Right. But once you're taking someone's clothes off and and strip searching them and you're just a fucking McDonald's manager, like that is, I don't even think that's legal for the police to do. No. I mean, I'm not saying they don't do it, but like, that's like, I need a lawyer. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, if you're arrested, I guess they can search you. But she was not arrested. No, it just, the thing that's so wild about this story to me is that all of the other people that were involved that were going along with it, like going along and like, as we'll see coming up, how far it escalates. And it's like, you not once did you think I'm not doing this, even if you're telling me to like, that's where it's get it gets crazy. Yeah. So Nick said that he was told this girl was in the office because she was caught stealing. And I'm sorry, Nick's is um, the boyfriend, the boy or the fiance, the fiance of Donna Summers. Yes, the manager. Yes, not the singer. <laughs> Slightly different yeah. version of the name. But, but this, every time I see that, I'm like Donna Summers. Like, but this is what I mean. This is what I mean. This guy isn't in, is completely removed from the situation. He's not at work. He's at his house. He didn't question this. He didn't have like the he he didn't have a moment where he was like that sounds wrong because you could at least ma- maybe make an excuse for the employees who feel were, like they have to do these corporate whatever. or they were wrapped up in this situation and being conned by this guy. But this guy who's completely removed from the situation and he does the worst of it. I know. I've seen the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's like. It, it's it's unbelievable to me. Yeah. So he's 42 years old, churchgoer, little league coach. Everyone obviously describes him as a model citizen who never even had a parking ticket. Um, so he he comes, he shows up, and for the next two hours plus, he does exactly as the caller says, even when the request is sexual assault. Um, so he basically did what Jason refused to do, and it's like at least even though Jason didn't stop it, at least he was like, I'm not doing this. Right. Um, So when he gets there, he immediately pulls the apron away from Louise. So she's completely naked again. And he describes her body to the collar. It's like, even if you think she stole, what is this doing? Right. What is describing her body doing? Right. Uh, He ordered her to dance with her above arms above her head to see if anything would shake out. According to the collar. This doesn't sound very official. No. He makes her do jumping jacks, knee bends, stands on a swivel chair, then standing on a desk. He also inserts his finger into her vagina to... Oh, no. she He has her insert her fingers into her vagina to expose uh, what's in there if the, uh, as he does the search. <gasps> he then makes her sit on his lap and kiss him. So she, the caller was like, you got to kiss her so you might smell something on her breath if okay. she's on drugs or something. See, this is where I'm like... <laughs> No, it's crazy. This husband doesn't, this fiance guy, at this point, he's still questioning it. I mean, I don't get He's not questioning it yet at this point. Even if you think it's legal, wouldn't you be like, I'm not comfortable doing this, even if you're telling me? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, just crazy to me. I'm just. I, I can't I can't explain it. Now she actually refuses at some point to obey some of these instructions. Louise. 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 And cause 
at this point, it's just uh, Walter and Louise in the room, right? Donna's like fucking at the register or whatever she's doing. Yeah. Um, and he slaps her, slaps her butt until it's red, <gasps> until she obeys the instructions. Each time, so Donna keeps popping back in. So they have the door locked and she'll pop in and every time she pops back in, he'll hand her back the apron so it looks like they're not doing anything other than just sitting there with a call. So he knows he's covering up, right? He knows something's wrong about this. And that's like in the documentary, there's a lot of footage that's not explicit, but still obviously very disturbing. And one of them is, because this back office is fucking small. Yeah. Like it's tiny. So she'll be coming in and like going to get money out of the register, like the safe and just doing this thing. And Louise is just sitting on the chair with Walter and she's like poking down in and getting the money and then just rushing right back out. She's on Walter's lap. No, uh, sorry. Walter and Louise are sitting in the room acting like nothing beyond them just sitting there is happening when Donna comes back in. Yeah. And there's video of Donna just coming back in and like, you know that right, bag right, of right. money they have and they're putting it in the register and she's getting something and then running back out. And then they're resuming when she yes. leaves. So he clearly knows if he's stopping when his fiance comes in that even there's something the, fishy about this. Even if the cop is like, when she comes back in, act like nothing's happening. Doesn't that trigger something in your head? Like I just, the only, it's just, it's, it's so baffling. Like the only person in this situation I completely believe in like that they you know were were it's like Louise. Here's what you want them to say. I'm a fucking idiot. Yes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that's what you want them to say. Like I have no explanation. I'm so fucking trained to obey authority yeah. that I did this. Right. Like that's what you want them to say. And they do I mean Walter, I guess Eventually, we'll get to what happens to him. But like Donna definitely feels like she's a victim too later on, for sure. Um, so, like as I said, Louise feels feels truly trapped. Yeah, like, she's naked. I mean, she's a true victim. Nix is one hundred and forty five pounds larger than her and a foot taller than her. So she's with this massive fucking guy as yeah. well now. And she says, "I was scared for my life." Now she's been in the back office for two and a half hours at this point when the caller tells her that she needs to kneel on the brick floor in front of Walter Nix and unbuckle his pants. Now she begins crying and she begins begging Walter to stop this. She recounted in her deposition. She said, I said, no, I didn't do anything wrong. This is ridiculous. But she said Nix told her he would hit her if she didn't fillet him. And so she did. Now, like the rest of this, this is also on surveillance camera and recorded by a DVD. And this continues until Donna Summers once again comes into the office to get some gift certificates. And that's how it stops. So he wouldn't have even stopped it probably if Donna didn't come back in. Mm. Now, Walter wants out at this point, finally realizing something is fucked up. <laughs> finally, like oh. realizing. The caller says he can leave on the condition that Donna finds someone else to replace him. So I think Donna spends some time with her trying to find someone else. Walter leaves and immediately calls a friend and says, I've done something terribly bad. And this is when Donna brings in a man named Thomas Sims, who is the restaurant's maintenance man. He wasn't even on the job at the time. He had stopped into the restaurant for dessert and coffee. And she's like, hey, um, can you come in the office and watch Louise? Because she's been caught. Like he kind of, she drags Thomas into the situation. Yeah. And 
he gets on the phone with a guy and he immediately is like, uh, no, I'm not going along with your demands. Right. He later says in a deposition that he was shocked by what he saw, this young girl trying to cover herself with this small fabric, this apron. Um, Summers, uh, Donna Summers told him that uh, corporate had approved what was happening. And he was like, something's not right about this. Uh, his hesitation and his demands that something was wrong and not going on here that was not like legit makes Donna finally realize like she gets her first inkling that maybe something's off as well. She calls the manager who's supposedly on the line with them, Lisa Siddons. And when she calls Siddons, she literally wakes her up because she's at home sleeping and she has no idea what's going on. So what time is this at night? It's uh. It's like 7.30 p.m. So she's, okay. she's taking a late nap. <laughs> I get it. I've yeah. been there. Um, and at that point, Summer says, I knew that I had been had and I lost it. Oh, so Jesus. we'll take a break here and get, more, get to more when we come back. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings with big cash back at hundreds of stores. Don't miss headliners like Canon, Fenty Beauty, and Dyson. I can't wait to shop for all of my summer fashion and beauty needs, and we'll definitely be checking out Ulta and Adidas. Rakuten really is the best way to shop. You can really save by stacking cash back on top of other deals. And during Big Give Week, the cash back is bigger than ever. It's the time to shop for everything you need for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Membership is free, and it's all happening May 6th to May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost on top of Big Give Week cashback rates, go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Rakuten is the shopping platform to save while shopping. So Donna says that she immediately begs Louise for forgiveness and that she was hysterical. 
the co- the caller hangs up during all of this uh, hubbub or whatever. An employee immediately is like dials star 69. Remember star 69 before another call could ring in. And they do get the number of the caller's telephone. Now, Louise is obviously shivering. She's now wrapped in a blanket. And she's finally released from this office after three and a half hours. So now it's like 830. Um, So she's obviously in a state of shock and stunned. she actually asks if she has to show up for work the next morning, which is really uh, sad. And Michelle Dockery is back at this point, and she's like, no, take off as much time as you want. Pretty generous of <laughs> the manager. Like, Jesus. what? Um, so the police are obviously called to the restaurant on, at this point. Walter is immediately arrested for sexual assault, and they begin an investigation into what happened and if this is a perpetrator the scam caller, who is this guy? Like, if everything they're saying is accurate, what's going on? Um, But, like, obviously this is a much bigger deal than can Louise get some personal days off. This is about, this incident is about to blow everything wide open, unlike with the previous uh, events that have happened that are similar. So Donna Summers is initially suspended and then later fired. And guess what she's fired for? What? She's fired for bringing in a non-employee into the back office. Come on. <laughs> that, is the, that is the most corporate shit I have ever heard in my I life. I know. I was like, what the fuck? Like, are you kidding me? She violated McDonald's rule for bringing a non-employee into the back office, Rachel. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So a couple of weeks later, she is finally indicted on a charge of unlawful imprisonment, which is a misdemeanor. And as I mentioned, Nix is indicted on sodomy and assault. Now, Dockery, Kim Dockery does not get fired. She's just transferred to another restaurant. And obviously, Louise is completely broken by this incident. She began suffering panic attacks. She has severe insomnia, nightmares about a guy attacking her. Um, she's in therapy because she's got anxiety and depression and over PTSD. this incident. Yeah, I mean, it's all fucking coming down on her, obviously. In her lawsuit, which is coming up, she will testify that she can no longer trust people. She has to push people out of her life because she doesn't want them to know what happened to her. She's like ashamed and embarrassed. She feels contaminated, dirty, all of that kind of stuff that is very common when Mm. you're sexually assaulted. By August of 2004, she does file a lawsuit against McDonald's alleging that it failed to warn employees about these hoaxes. Now, despite the mounting number of cases across the country, restaurant industry officials just really didn't act quickly or decisively on these things. Like yeah. they did these half-assed measures. Um, partially, it's because everyone was like, "This can't be real. Like this is so weird." They had just never experienced something like that or heard about it. Um, some of the strip searches obviously didn't even get reported to the police because people were embarrassed. Um, the restaurants didn't want to publicize them. Uh, and there's also this element of competitive chains reluctant to talk to each other about any kind of stuff that's happening within their corporate whatever culture. What? Really? Yes. So it's like uh, police jurisdictions? Yes. Where they almost. Don't, where they don't want to communicate. Yeah, they don't want, like, we're having some issues. Are you? It's like they don't want to give them any. I was like, seriously? It's like, by now we've all decided which fast food places we like. <laughs> like, I'm not switching. Like, <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, so... There's a variety of reasons that these people aren't taking care of business. I mean, they're all bad. They're never, none of them are good reasons. Um, the head of uh, the industry as a whole has the security 
group that I guess works for them. McDonald's. I think all of the industry, like fast food security experts is a thing. There's so many weird things like that in the corporate world. Yeah. Um, They acknowledged to the Associated Press that it took until 2003 for the pieces of the puzzle to come together and for everyone to start comparing notes and realizing the scope of the problem. Now that's like almost 10 years after it started. So it's wow. pretty pretty long time for the pieces of the puzzle to come together. Police departments who had filed these cases kind of filed them under miscellaneous. They didn't really know how to pursue the caller. Um, and they even had trouble sometimes figuring out what the crime was. Sexual assault. Well, yeah, that's pretty <laughs> obvious. Uh, but yeah, even getting someone to undress is sexual assault yes. or some some version of that. Um, So several police departments were able to trace the phone calls to a phone booth in Panama City, Florida, but that was pretty much as far as anyone got until this Mount Washington hoax. So the lone detective on the Mount Washington Police Department was named Buddy Stump, and he had only been working a few weeks as an investigator when he gets the call for this uh, incident. Buddy Stump. He's in the documentary, by the way, and he's very country. He's exactly what you would expect Buddy Stump to yeah. be like. Yeah, I mean, he seems like a nice, nice enough guy. And he's he's fucking furious yeah. when he sees this surveillance video. He said it burned me up that this happened to an eighteen year old girl, and he he gets even more angry when he realizes that he knows Louise. It's the <gasps> daughter of a neighbor, his neighbor. And we know like a small town, you know your neighbor is pretty well there. So he is even more determined to solve this case. He is able to track down the phone number that the call had been made from because they star 69'd it. Uh, It's obviously listed to a non-existent phone call. I'm sorry, a non-existent phone. And he figures out that it's probably been made on a prepaid calling card, which were really big Mm. in those days. So... That's even worse news, though, because he's like, well, now we'll never find them because there's like, how do you trace back a prepaid um, calling card? Right. He eventually learns that the call had originated in Panama City from the other investigators, and the largest seller of phone cards there was Walmart. But that doesn't really help much either because Walmart is the largest seller of everything in Panama City, and there's three different Walmarts in Panama City alone. I'm sorry, Panama City's in Florida? Yes. So... He finally talks to a Panama City detective, and he that guy tells him some interesting news. He says an officer from Westbridgewater, Massachusetts, was on the same trail. This guy's name is Detective Sergeant Vic Flaherty, uh, and he's on a task force investing crimes that hit four Wendy's in the Boston area in February of 2004. He also had traced a calling card to Panama to the Panama City WalMarts. Uh, He had looked at the store's surveillance video, but it only captured customers entering and exiting, not at the registers. So he gets gets in contact with Buddy Stump, and they sort of work together to find the source of this calling card and who bought it. Now, this time they're in luck because they find out that it was purchased at 3.02 p.m. at another Walmart in Panama City on April 9th, 2004. This happened just hours before it was used to call the Mount Washington McDonald's. The reason they were able to figure this out is that the cameras at the store were trained on the registers, and it showed that the man, that a man, a white man about thirty-five to forty with slick black, slick slicked back black hair and glasses, purchased this card. The same man could be seen on another video entering the Walmart, and he was wearing a black jacket with a small white lettering. So Flaherty and another guy he works with flew to Panama City on June twenty-eighth, two thousand four. 
and they talk to the local officers and they identify the jacket as the uniform worn by officers of Correction Corps of America, a private prison company. (gasps) So they show it to the warden at the company's Bay Correctional Facility and he is identified as David R. Stewart, 38, a guard on the swing shift. Now, this is a guy who's been married 11 years, the father of five, and he has a history of working as a mall security guard. He's volunteered as an auxiliary sheriff's deputy, driven a propane trunk, truck, and he now has this job as a prison guard. Um, he had worked there 11 months before he's kind of figured out that this might be the guy. Uh, he's also like a cop worshiper. Right. And you can tell by his history of jobs. He wants some kind of position of authority. Yep. And I think when they find go to his home, he has like a lot of like cop memorabilia, like someone who fucking wants to be a cop, basically. Right. So he obviously denies making the calls when he's confronted, but he he it is noted that he is sweating profusely and shaking uncontrollably uncontrollably. In the report, it's also stated that he says, was anybody hurt? Amen, it's over. Um, He insists he's never bought a calling card and his family stands behind him. His mother's like, he's a good boy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) When detectives search his house, they find like used, they find like calling cards that have been used to call nine restaurants in the past year, including the Idaho Falls, Idaho Falls Burger King on the day that its manager was duped. That's the one. Does manager tell a whopper? Right. Um, police also find applications for police department jobs and as well as as well as police magazines and police type uniforms, guns, and holsters. So yeah. This guy's a sick fuck. Yeah. So sorry. Mount Washington becomes the first department to charge him. Uh, Stump actually drives to Panama City to arrest him on June 30th, 2004. He is eventually brought to the Bullet Circuit Court where he pleads not guilty to solicitation to commit sodomy and impersonating a police officer, which are both felonies. He's also charged with soliciting sex abuse and unlawful imprisonment, which are misdemeanors. Why is unlawful imprisonment a misdemeanor? I'm sorry. That's crazy. That seems really felony to me. Yeah. Um, His lawyer... Is a man it's named giving Steve. Felony. It's giving felony. I'm sorry. Unlawful <laughs> imprisonment. Come like, on. Those words sound very serious. Yeah. Change it. Uh, so his lawyer, I love when lawyers unintentional or intentionally dunk on their clients. So they're like, my client's too stupid. Yeah. He basically says just that. He's not bright enough to have pulled off these hoaxes. <laughs> Based on my numerous conversations with my client, I don't believe he's persuasive or eloquent enough to convince somebody to do these preposterous things. So... He faces up to 15 years in prison. Doesn't seem like enough to me. But on October 31st, 2006, he's acquitted of all charges. What? They just don't have enough evidence, I guess, for these juries. I'm always kind of like, I'll I'll wink it. (laughs) Circumstantial can work for me. Um, But, you know, it's basically this lack of direct evidence, like, there's no recording of the caller's voice. There's like no, but I think like the calling cards, how was that not enough? That's what's crazy about it to me. Yeah. Is that they had the evidence of the calling cards being used to call these restaurants. Right. And he, he, he can still face prosecution in other cases, by the way, just not this case. Um, but police do state after his arrest, the scam calls stopped. Immediately. Oh. So interesting. Now, 
Across the country, at least 13 people who executed the strip searches ordered by him were charged with crimes and seven were convicted, convicted, convicted. So they face more consequences than him for doing it, for instigating it. I mean, they should, but um, most of the managers though get treated as victims, like on the level of the people they searched and humiliated. Summers does enter an Alford uh, guilty plea. We saw that with the staircase. Yes. It's basically you're guilty, but not really saying it. Uh, She was plead to um, a single count of unlawful imprisonment, which is a misdemeanor, and was sentenced to one year of probation. It's admitting that the evidence against you is, en- convict you. is enough to convince convict you, but you're not willing to... Pers- Plead guilty. You're not willing to personally admit to guilt. Yeah. Um, that, that, guilt, that plea is weird. It, <laughs> like, it, I'm like, you're guilty, sorry. <laughs> I mean, I understand it if it's like you're making a deal and you understand the evidence against you is bad. Yeah. Like, why people do the Alfred plea, but right. and there's like no other way out. But it is an interesting one to me. For sure. Um, next pleads guilty to sexual abuse, sexual misconduct, misconduct and unlawful imprisonment. Uh, he does get a plea deal because he does testify against David Stewart, but he is sentenced to five years in prison. So he gets uh, probably the, I mean, definitely the biggest sentencing in this case. Um, according to the judge who acquitted uh, another manager who was accused of restraining and possibly sexually assaulting or probably sexually assaulting two women at another McDonald's, these people fell under the spell of a voice on the phone. Um, another lawyer named Craig Anoziata, who defended 30 franchises that were sued after the hoaxes, said every manager he interviewed genuinely believed they were helping the police. They weren't trying to get their jollies. Um, so many of these people were fired despite maybe not being convicted, but, and some of them were even divorced by their spouses, Wow, which is like telling to me. Uh, and you know, most of the people though are like, fuck these managers. They're guilty. <laughs> like I, there's not many people defending them. Right. Um, one person's like, you don't have to be a Phi Beta Kappa to know not to strip search a girl who was accused of stealing change. This is a lawyer who won a one a victim $250,000 after she was strip searched at a McDonald's. Um, a TV commentator in the area called these people colossally stupid. <laughs> uh, and obviously these events are triggered by this perverted miscreant, wrote one judge, but they still had a responsibility to use common sense and avoid falling prey to such a scam. So in her suit against McDonald's, Louise, she sues them for 19... Uh, I'm sorry... No, the McDonald's is a nineteen billion com- comp- dollar company. She doesn't sue them for nineteen billion. I don't know what I wrote here. Uh, so she she sues them. Uh, this the lawsuit is about failure to warn, failure to train, failure to supervise at this location. Um, McDonald's security executive does present present evidence that they did send this ten to fifteen second voice message to every store in the region about these hoax calls. And and one of the calls went out literally a week before the incident took place. Um, but some people like, oh, Siddons, the manager, the regional or area manager, she's like, it didn't mention strip searches. It just said hoax calls. It could be anything. It could be anything. It could just be like, hey, your refrigerator's running. Like, what did she think it meant? Like, why would they care if people were prank calling you like kids? It should have been explicit. Someone, totally. Somebody impersonating a police officer 
has been calling, be on the lookout for this specific thing. Yes. And then I mentioned earlier that they had this plan to put these stickers really like directly on the headset and cradle of the phone, uh, but that did not happen. Donna Summers filed her own suit against McDonald's. What? Saying that the incident would not have occurred if she had been warned. Um, so she's mad at them for not spreading the word better. I she's mean, like, I agree. They should have spread the word better. I know, but she's got some nerve suing. <laughs> like, just let Louise get all the money. Yeah, for Louis, sure. Louise should get paid out. She's like, you've destroyed three lives. I hope you're happy, which is pretty funny to say to McDonald's. <laughs> But I'm not on her side, um, even though I do think they should have warned her. You know what? It's like she probably would have. Would she have seen the sticker? Like, <laughs> would she have put it on? Like, right. there's still a lot of uh, room for a human error in this. Uh, with with also, Donna, do what you fucking think is right, regardless of what McDonald's tells you. Like, that's ultimately what gets so frustrating. Mm. So she's like, yeah, I received your notice, but um, I'm not responsible. I feel bad for your loss because I'm a victim as well. I lost my job, my home, and my car all over something I did not do. It's like, you did do it. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. That was, that was Stuart. He's mad, too, because they want him to respond in this uh, McDonald's lawsuit. And wait, he's like, no. Stuart is the, which, the caller. Stuart's complaining that he lost his job? Yeah. He's like, I didn't even do anything. I'm also a victim. He's the perpetrator. I know. So <laughs> McDonald's is like, yeah, it's Stuart and Nick's. We didn't do anything. We, and they sue Stuart and Nick's. McDonald's, McDonald's does. McDonald's does. So everyone's suing everyone. It's a mess. Um, <laughs> McDonald's, they're, they're also like, in our employee manual, it clearly says we have a policy against strip searches. It's like, no one reads that. It's fucking <laughs> 800 pages. Small writing. Like <laughs> McDonald's... Obviously, if you're a $19 billion company, get your shit together, fix your fucking ice cream machine. Yeah. Like, pay what your, about that? Pay your workers a fair wage and uh, m- prevent your workers from being sexually assaulted. Well, you can't say the employees didn't read the manual. No one reads that. Yeah. It's just like, yes, that's why corporate. Uh, things are so annoying, corporate right. jobs, because you have to do these seminars. It's like, well, maybe that's the way they have to do it, because you have to make sure these people sign off and hear the information when it's important. Right? Yes, yes. Uh, so the company admits that it knew about the earlier hoaxes, um, and they think they reacted uh, appropriately. Uh, so they also blame Louise for what happened to her. McDonald's? Yes. What? They say her injuries, if any were caused by her failure to realize the caller wasn't a real police officer. <laughs> she are, wasn't on the phone with them. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Fuck uh, that. Yeah. Um, so she gets interviewed by them in a deposition, and it's very uh, fucked up. They At some point, the lawyers ask her, because she's like obviously sitting there with no clothes. They're like, you couldn't walk out of the office? Why'd you stay voluntarily? Um, and he's like, did it ever occur to you to scream? This is what McDonald's lawyer. Yes. McDonald's lawyer is saying to Louise, it's like, if you're smart, just wrap this one up. Give her the fucking money. Right. Cause she's like the one who is completely innocent in all of this. Like, yes. So a jury does give her $5 million in punitive damages and 1.1 million in compensatory damages, compensatory damages and expenses, Summers gets $1 million and 100000 in compens- compensatory damages. Wow. Now, 
She originally sued McDonald's for $50 million, by the way. <laughs> Donna what? is wild and out. Like, what is Donna? Donna, take a seat. Like, Donna, what are you doing? Donna. I feel like she's overcompensating because she knows she's wrong. So she has to go extra hard. Yeah. Like, um, obviously, McDonald's keeps fucking like appealing. So eventually, Louise gets like less money. She only gets $1.1 million. And obviously, Donna also gets like less money as well. I think she gets like $500,000, which is still too much, in my opinion. That's, give it to Louise. So, I mentioned many accuse this movie of being really exploitive of women. That was like the complaint. Uh, they said it was because of the naturalistic performances. It was a very minimal filmmaking. They they turned this movie around really fast. And it's it definitely makes the audience feel like they're in the role of this voyeur, right? You're watching this stuff happen without the ability to do anything. And it's a difficult, uncomfortable position to be in. Um, the director, though, Craig Zobel, he's like, it wasn't about exploiting this woman at all it was he's his interest was about blind obedience to authority yeah so he says ordinary people simply doing their jobs without any particular hostility on their part can become agents in a terrible destructive process moreover even when the destructive effects of their work become patently clear and they're asked to carry out actions incompatible with fundamental standards of morality relatively few people have the resources needed to resist authority he also had a longtime interest in the work of Stanley Milgram. He was a Yale University psychologist who pre- performed a controversial experiment in order to understand why human beings were so prone to being to obeying authority, even when it contradicted their moral code. Obviously, in particular, these studies were about the Holocaust yeah. and the inexplicable claims people had that they were following orders and they were just cogs in the machine and like that kind of stuff. He took out a classified ad in 1960 and 61, inviting residents to take part in what they were told was a study of the relationship between punishment and learning. He had a man in a white lab coat um, introduced to the participants. Um, and basically the experiment is one person is sort of the teacher and one is the student. And every time the student would make a mistake or an error, the teacher was told to give them an electric shock. Right. So the machine was actually a prop. The students were actors and none of them were being shocked. But two-thirds of the subjects gave what they believed were paralyzing jolts to protesting victims simply because an authority figure, the man in the lab coat, commanded them to do so. According to Milgram, with numbing regularity, good people were seen to knuckle under the demands of authority and perform actions that were callous and severe. He dies in 1984 and his protege and biographer, Dr. Thomas Blass, said that in an interview that the behavior of the people duped in the strip search hoaxes would not have surprised Milgram. Like this is very in line what his study was basically showing. Once you accept another person's authority, you become a different person. You are concerned with how well you follow out your orders rather than whether what you're doing is right or wrong. And he said he wasn't even, he wouldn't be surprised if this guy, the hoax guy had read these studies. Like Mm. they seemed so dead on. Now another sort of, theory people throw out why these hoaxes were so successful is that um, fast food restaurants really prize obedience in their workers. Yeah. So they're getting a very particular type of person and then they foster that obedience. That's yeah. how you get ahead, right? right? The brown nosers or whatever. When you, You've been in a corporate or that type of job. You see the people who get ahead. Also, when you 
work at a corporate at a corp corporate for like a corporate place like you have before I have before there is like it is like the very everything is like very by the book and it is very much like obedience yeah so this sociologist named Esther Ryder wrote a book called Making Fast Food from the Frying Pan into the Fire She says the assembly line process very deliberately tries to take away any thought or discretion from the workers. They are appendages to the machine. Uh, Another FBI specialist named Jan Jablowski, he says, you and I can sit here and judge these people and say they were blooming idiots, but they aren't trained to use common sense. They are trained to say and think, can I help you? And I think also it's like, (laughs) we have seen those manuals before. Yeah, It's like, you've been in the situations where the person's like, no, you're not allowed to take the fryer out until five seconds. Or like we've been, I remember going to McDonald's once and it was like 1101 and I couldn't get a breakfast item. It's like, no, we stopped serving breakfast (laughs) at 11 a.m. It was like one of those situations and I didn't make a big stink about it, but I was like, you have the stuff right there. But it's like, they're trained to like keep it and it's probably like the register has already changed and like there's all these there's no bending the rules in those situations. When I worked at Pier 1 as a teenager, there was like a guide to like certain phrases you weren't allowed to say to customers and everything was like very specific about communicating with customers, yeah. like almost like a script. Yes. Um the another person who wrote for this, he's a national editor of Nation Restaurant News, which is a trade publication. His name is Milton Pruitt. He said, "You dot your eyes, you cross your T's, and push the buttons. And after a year of that, you might be assistant manager." So mm. it's like very like the person who is sort of the most by the book will usually be the one who rises to the top. Um, so, and I also want to point out, not everyone followed this guy's orders. Like there right. are lots of people who did not at the McDonald's. Yes. Um, or at other McDonald's. At other restaurants, not just McDonald's. Right. Um, but there were people who, even when people tried to stop them, they kept going. <gasps> there were two incidents that I thought were insane. One was a Burger King in Indiana. A supervisor was so intent on finishing his strip search of a 15-year-old girl in 2001 <gasps> when the girl's father arrived to pick her up from work. The father had to jump over the counter and save his daughter because the manager refused to like let her go. Oh my God. So even when confronted, some of these guys were like, no, I was told to like <laughs> it's like, dude, fuck it's you're working at McDonald's. Like, don't risk your life for that shit. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, oh my God. And another Burger King manager was strip searching an 18-year-old employee. That's the other thing. That girl was 15, and you thought that was acceptable? That's a minor, sir. That is crazy. uh, So, I mean, not that it's more acceptable if they're 18, but this was an 18-year-old in March of 2003. She had to fight off... um, This manager was so intent that she fought off the worker's mother and boyfriend... Uh, and the fight happened so was so big that the state police were called for the fight, but not for the strip search. Like fuck. So even when sort of confronted by people, some people still fucking pushed through. Like that is crazy. Wow. So yeah, I mean, as I said, this doesn't absolve anyone of responsibility for what they did. Um, one third of the subjects in Milgram study refused to shock the subject. And as I said earlier, some supervisors also refused to go along. One supervisor at a McDonald's um, store 
he hung up on the caller the same night as the Mount Washington hoax. Wow. He's like, nobody held a gun to their head, like their heads. Like no one was holding a gun to my head. So some people had this a critical ability to decide whether to carry out these orders and chose not to. So, yeah. I mean, it's not impossible. Right. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's that case. Totally wild. It is, it is an interesting um thing to think about why people blindly follow authority. Yes, absolutely. And like I said before, the movie's well, really well done, but I will never watch it again because it is not a fun viewing experience. Even seeing the clips of the surveillance video with no sound and not even the worst parts, uh, I mean, it's all bad, but like not the most abusive Explicit. sections, like just her sitting there like clearly distressed mm. and just like that clip I mentioned earlier where Donna just comes in to, to get them change the bills out. Right. It's like, you're just going about your fucking job. Even if I thought what I was doing was like, this girl needs to be taken in cause she stole. I would be distressed about the situation going on in the back. I'd be like, we need to, where's the police? Like, I don't want to fucking deal with this. Like, right. Do you know what I mean? Like there wasn't even that with her. She's just going about business as usual like, there's a rush. I got to deal with the customers. It's just wild, the whole situation. Did this guy, Stanley or Stewart, the perpetrator, did he ever get in any, any legal trouble? I like, didn't see anything. I think he's like the type who really just fucking dropped it when he got caught. Yeah. He probably was just like, couldn't believe he kept getting away with it. Because it definitely starts escalating, right? Yeah. Like, some calls end at a you know, just when they're sort of getting strip searched. Yeah. But the people who stayed on the longest, that's where he kept upping things. Right. Because he's like, I know I have them and they keep doing everything I say. How far can I push it? This guy's sick. What a fucking, this is like the type of thing where I'm like, how is this not a crime that's like huge? Like this type of thing. It's like, they don't even have laws for certain things, it seems, or they're trying to pigeonhole them into other crimes. Yeah. You know, it's like these modern crimes that we need to like figure out. I mean, this is not modern anymore, but even kind of like how we're always trying to, there's like internet things now where we don't have laws for them or we had to create them. Well, I mean, stalking laws are still, there's still hardly any good laws for stalking. No, but like even things like revenge porn, it's like they're finally getting around to kind of that kind of thing. Right. Which didn't exist, obviously. But it's still in its infancy of of people figuring out how to um, deal with that. Absolutely. Anyway, wow. Wow, Desi, great job. We will be back soon for our mini episode and for our after show on patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.